everybody, welcome to Pan Tilt Zoom, episode 12. Oh, we're yeah. here with your host, oh, yeah. Tim Hurley. Woo. What's going on, guys? And Tyra, listen. Thanks. Uh, introducing Thanks, each other this time. Yeah, <laughs> I like this. I like this better. It's less awkward. That's the, that's the worst part about intro, uh, introductions is like, do you say your name first? Do you say the other? Do you like, how do you do that? But this is good. I like this. I like so it we're, too. We're back. Try new for, things. Yeah, man. We're back. Episode 12. We have a jam-packed episode. We've been uh, very busy of late. We're, we're both very busy people, but that doesn't mean that we can uh, back off from the good content. So we have some great interviews with some really engaging, interesting people. Matt and uh, I almost said Jackson. Rip Jackson. <laughs> Damn, rest uh, in peace for sure. <laughs> Matt and I John. Out for him later. <laughs> yeah, Matt and John from Flip Fanatics. We have screenwriting talk and we have like sound design and everything like that. And uh, I think Tim wants to do some special shout outs off, off the yes. top of the show. This is from both me and Tyrell. We have yeah. a shout out to everyone uh, for just as a huge thank you for voting us for best podcast in the in the BlueTube Awards, um, hosted by Dr. Movie 91, uh, who's a great addition. He's actually a, not an addition. He's a cornerstone of this community. Yep. Um, and we're just we're just honored. 100%. Uh, so we have an excellent episode like Tyrell uh, mentioned. So uh, without further ado, let's jump right into it. Okay, guys, we are here uh, with a very special segment, and that is an interview with our good friend Matt from Flick Fanatics. Say what's up, man. Hey, guys. How's everyone doing? Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it big time. Very excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we have you on um, because not to talk about uh, movies. I mean, we all know you love movies. You watch them all the time. Um, but one thing that we have found really awesome is that most people go to school for uh, being a director, film, cinematography, but um, you go to school for sound design. Do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, I, <clears throat> I love going to school because of sound. It's, it's amazing. The program, I go to Columbia College in Chicago. I think that's a good place to start. Um, so it's a very radio, TV, film kind of art school. And um, a lot of people go there for writing, directing, producing. And that's, I think, one of the things that attracted me to sound was because no one was doing it there. And it was such a small program, um, at least in the location realm. And then there's the post world, too. And... They're both just really great, full of awesome information, great examples to learn from whether you're at school or at home. And uh, it's just, it. I feel like I learn so much every day that I'm there. So it's, it's just one of those things that's awesome to be a part of and to kind of meet people that are working currently and then people that have worked in that world. So, cool. And you're in your, you're in your third year? Yeah, it's uh, it's my fourth year of school, but my second year at Columbia, I went to a community college for two years before that, and um, I'm looking to graduate this fall, so two okay. and a half years there, um, nice. potentially three full years, but we'll see. So. Nice, nice. Now, in terms of, you, you talked about, uh, you saw that a lot of people were going to school for producing and directing and, and other things like that, but... I'm assuming, like, the idea of doing sound design and something interests you a little bit earlier. Like, was that inspired maybe through music, uh, you know, other videos, online things, or was it movies even? Like, what it, what really 
was the first time you were like, maybe sound design is really something that I should pay attention to or look at? Or simply having ears. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll start with uh, that's, that's a great... <laughs> it all started with me. Uh, it's... I think goes back to admiring movies for reasons that I didn't know why I liked them. And a lot of the time it was because of music. It was because of the sound effects. And it was because of just the overall atmosphere you can create with sound. But I didn't start thinking about studying it until I got my job at a restaurant when I was in high school. There is um, this independent filmmaker that worked there. His name's Frank Ross. And he makes movies for like $40,000 or less. And he was the one that kind of was like, hey, if you like film and you, you want to go to school for it, he's like, you like music, you already play guitar, he's like, you make a great person in the sound world. So I, I was like, oh, well, this guy knows what he's talking about, so I'm just going to like see how that goes. And if I like it, I like it. If I don't, then I can always tread on something else. So, so in terms of like your, your interest that you've gotten from school so far, because you just mentioned... I mean, he—he's like you play guitar, so. But it's like you're not going for for scoring, but that's part of it as well. Mm-hmm. You can use musical cues as sound rather than score. So, go and like, I mean, point. tell us a little bit about because earlier on you also mentioned like uh, there's post sound and also location sound. So, it, are you doing both of them? And if so, which do you prefer to go into in the field later on? Yeah. Um... I, I am studying both. Right now I'm in location two and I'm in post two and I've taken various like science of acoustics classes and all sorts of just where where sound kind of develops and how sound actually works with like the human ear. And I think that's like a little too far for me in the math and science world. I'm not super, <clears throat> super skilled like mathematician or anything. So I personally really like post-sound a lot. I love the idea of editing dialogue. I love the idea of like finding that exact frame that that sound effect needs to start and end on, as well as like everything in between, whether you're talking about like mechanical sound effects, repetitive sound effects, or just like how, how do you spot like a scene of, of, you know, looking at a script or looking at something you're given, like how do you spot that and that's what I've like really liked learning about, and that was all kind of more in the post area. And so, I would totally work any sound job. Like if I had the chance, like if I had a chance to just go boom on set, I would, without a doubt, do that. And you know what I mean. So it's like, I I have no problem wanting to learn both, and I would work in both fields if I could, uh, in a perfect world. But at some point, I'll probably have to figure out more specifically. Which direct area that would be in? That's cool. So, I mean, That's cool. I mean, you always have posts to fall back on. Location yeah, is those like opportunities that you're going to get, but posts you could do, you know, wherever. Yeah, that's a good point. You know what I mean? It's like as long as you have the the right setup for it, you know, you can. There's there's great sound people that work from their homes, and that's mm-hmm. just like I'm so jealous of those people. <laughs> it's got to be incredible. <laughs> Now, from from a technical standpoint, uh, what film do you believe, or uh, yeah, what film do you believe is perfect in terms of sound design and soundscape, or at least near perfect? Because um, you know, there's a lot of great soundscapes and sound design out there in film. Okay. You know, Walter Murch is particularly a great 
uh, sound uh, designer yep. and uh, editor, and like he's done a lot of great films like Apocalypse Now and English Patient. Where do you fall, and what you do you stole the at? words right out of my mouth? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. Walter Murch is like I think the prime example for any not only sound person but any picture editor as well. There's mm-hmm. a, a great book by him called In the Blink of an Eye. I'm sure you've probably even read it. You know, it's yeah. like it's one of those books like in film school. It's like it's almost like a Bible of like picture and sound is like that's something you should read. And so, I mean, I'm a big fan of the conversation. I think what he did on that movie is like, I mean, just that opening credit shot where you have Gene Hackman, I don't know how many, you know, yards, hundreds of yards away from the camera, and he found a way to rig this thing and actually get, like, usable audio, but also using, like, radio frequencies, and that kind of stuff boggles my mind because that's, like, the problem-solving that, like, we need in the film world. It's like those those thinkers that are thinking in a progressive way of how can I pull this off in this specific field because like at the end of the day, if you can do your job without people noticing it, you've you've done a great job. You know, if if, if you can hide the edits, if you can, you know, kind of smooth over the editor's actual cuts, like then I mean you're doing not only your job but you're helping the editor out too. When, when, when you're taking your classes, because you're just talking about a film that is from a pre-technology age. I mean, those are all, they're, they're, they had to solve problems that we may not have to solve today. How do you feel um, sound design has changed from your studies in school? Has it gotten, like, from, from that guy's work, who apparently has influenced many, I'm sure that that scene that you're talking about could be solved in post later on. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's that, That's also a funny thing. It's just how often you're going to hear people say, oh, we'll, we'll fix it in post, or oh, we'll, yeah. we'll cover that in post, you know, because that's a, a thing that people tend to fall back on. Um, <clears throat> but even now, like, yeah, that scene probably could, could be done with a lot of post work, some ADR even, but... I think there's something a lot more genuine about the fact that it is a lot of it is production sound or, you know, kind of pieced together in a natural way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even now, though, even though our technology is so, you know, much, it's it's come a long way, especially in cameras, in, in sound recording devices. I mean, w- something we're learning on in location right now is the, the sound device is 633, and it's it's a great product because it mixes the idea of having a mixer as well as a recorder and it just puts them into one and it, it's a okay price for like a professional quality thing and it's you're still going to come across issues though like if you're going to be doing playback on a set like that's something I'm trying to figure out right now for an April shoot that I'm doing is like how am I going to approach this playback without you know kind of slowing down the production time without getting in the way of other people. How can I be prepared where I can just, hey, ready for playback? Like, let's cue it, let's do this, and let's record it. You know, so it's like there's still all those problems are very real no matter what kind of equipment you have. It's really mm-hmm. just yeah. all about pre-production, planning yourself out. I mean, producers are, I have an insane amount of respect for all the work that goes into producing a film. It's incredible. I mean... I'm taking one producing class just so I can kind of try to understand it, and it just is crazy. <laughs> it's there very is a, cool, though. 
there was an ad I saw, or someone told me about it, and it was for Photoshop, and the ad said everything but the idea, which is exactly what you're saying, which is you can have all the tools in the world. Technology can get better and better, but if you don't have this, the knowledge and know-how and skill to do it, then you're basically just not doing anything worthwhile. Um, so it is interesting to kind of see how far sound has come because mm -hmm. uh, even if you have mixer built into a microphone built into a camera or whatever you yeah. still have to know how to, you still have to know how to use it yeah that's a great point it's like any like like you just used like what was it photoshop it's like any like you're saying any professional tool like you can have the greatest equipment in the world exactly but if you don't know how to use it it's yeah. you're better off using the shittiest product in the world it's like you know mm -hmm. and that, yeah, that's that is a good rule because it, it works the opposite way. Like you can have honestly one of the worst cameras in the world, but it's a, again how you use it. And you know, a lot of people preach like it doesn't matter what you use. And obviously, the better the product, the probably nicer it's going to look. But you have to know how to do it first. Um, that's a great, yeah. Now, true. in terms of we were kind of talking about it before the whole like fix it and post idea. Uh, there is a lot of added sound in post-production on a legitimate movie. You have, you know, all this fully. You have ADR in a lot of instances. And there's a lot of stock sound that's used in film. Uh, one example is the Wilhelm scream, which is uh, notorious, I, I would say. And I was having yeah. a discussion in a genres class uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, or maybe it was this week, I forget, but about, you know, the kind of the cognitive process of the audience uh, when they're sitting down and hear sounds that they associate with certain things that they've heard before versus like a completely 100% original soundscape. And we were talking about it specifically with Firefly and how Joss Whedon created very specific themes and new music for different characters and things like that versus using stock sound. Now, how do you feel about stock, hound, uh, stock, hound, stock sound? And, um, <laughs> That's your website, by the way. Yeah, stock stock hound. Hound. yeah go to it, guys. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about stock sound versus you know original soundscape and you know, does it have a place, or would you prefer to do all original sound? Um, that's a really cool question too, because like, like um, as you just mentioned, it's something like the Wilhelm scream can totally distract someone that's watching a movie. It can take you out of the experience that mm -hmm. you're having. I mean, you can be completely invested in something, and then you hear this out of nowhere familiar sound from one movie you remember as a child, and and it instantly kind of makes you take a step back and go, like, what? Like, they put that in there? You know? I'm I'm not against, like, stock sounds. Like, if, if there's anything that's, like, royalty-free or within, like, a library that you've purchased that has been created by someone else, I think that can be, like, a great time saver for someone, especially if you're an editor. Like, if you're not someone that uh, understands or knows how to use, like, microphones, recording devices something like buying a library of sounds that some other engineer or someone came up with, it can help you, and it can save time, and they can be great sound effects. Like, especially the more money you put into a sound effects library, you're going to be getting some, like, really mm -hmm. good shit, and you're going to have the license to use it. So I, I feel like if you can create it yourself, you should, because you're going to have that extra little bit of experience. Of, even if it didn't come out the way you wanted it the first time, like, you tried it, like, and... Yeah. And, and I think the most, like, tried-and-true method is just, like, going out, doing it, or doing your best at it, because you're going to learn something from that. You know, that's, like, why I, you know, it, I, I mean, with Jason Thunder, I thought it was, like, something that came to mind is because 
a lot of those sounds, I was just trying to record things in my backyard for a while, and some of them totally worked, and some of them I had to either go through the school or I had to go through friends or libraries to right. find the sounds that I could use legally that would still work without being like a distraction. You know, so you, it's... Oh, go on. <laughs> how do you feel about taking those stock sounds when you have to use them, um, but do you alter them whenever you can, or do you just... Because I feel like some people... They just get stuff and they just use it, and they don't realize like to make it maybe stand out. Like, who knows what you could do with the Wilhelm scream to the point where maybe it doesn't stand out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you always try to like edit stuff and and do that? Yeah, I think um, the best thing you can do is, especially if you are like, if you're forced or if you really don't have the resources to make your own sound, and you end up having to pull something. I think the best thing you can do is if you're like a user of like Nuendo or Pro Tools or you know you name it Logic, um, definitely tweak it. Try to make it custom. Like that's something one of my teachers is always stressing to us. He's like, if you have to use someone else's sound, like do your best to to make that sound be meant for your picture, to be meant for what you're actually doing, because that sound was made with something else in mind, most likely. So if you can like separate yourself and distance yourself from that product, whether people have seen it or not, it'll definitely at least help you have a better understanding of editing sound, modulating certain bits of sound, and I think overall just like you're not creating your own sound because you don't own it, but you are creating something that is definitely custom for your project. The, the equivalent would be from grabbing a photo from Google and, you know, yeah. like my entire work is blue and the image that I get is yellow you would probably tint it to be blue you know like mm -hmm. just to like yeah, put it yeah. on the level of that like it's 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 funny because when you watch movies the sound is sort of like the base of look at me I'm throwing all these fucking metaphors everywhere um, <laughs> the, the sound is the base of the movie and it's sort of like the good sound and let me know if you agree with this good sound you should notice. Good um, sound. You should notice. I, should. I I would say so. In in a in in certain ways, I would because like I I believe that if you as a sound editor can mask edits and hide edits and create something that's smooth and easy to watch, and people don't notice it, mm -hmm. then I think you've done a great job because yeah. at that point your audience is invested into what they're watching and they don't even notice your editing or anything. Yeah. But at the same time, like you said, if you create something that does stand out to people and they go, oh, that sounded awesome, yeah. I, you know, at the same time, you've probably done a good job too then because you got someone to be like, wow, that was different or, you know, that was cool. Mm -hmm. So I think it can go both ways kind of. There's, you know? there's definitely like a time in the in a place for everything um, because what people don't realize is when you start getting into sound editing and creating essentially your soundscapes, you're using in professional uh, film production, you're using hundreds of layers of sound and the yes. audience won't necessarily hear that one sound but together as a whole that layer creates an effect and you're talking about sound that's uh, obvious and sound that's not think of something like Sicario, they use sound to create tension and it's a it's an eerie build up the entire <laughs> time and things like that you might not associate with what you're hearing as much as what you're seeing and that's smart because it's kind of all coming together, there's this cognitive process and that's why 
I think student films fail a lot is because they don't have good sound and uh, that's really a fundamental issue and everybody listening if you're making movies um, I would honestly probably and Matt would probably agree if you can get your hands on a better microphone than you can a camera do that because your sound is very important it's very very important yeah it's 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 one of those things I feel like that's a great way to put it um, wait can you guys hear me? Yep. Okay, cool. My computer was kind of, it's kind of freezing up, but I, I mean, I'm okay if you guys are, but uh, basically I was going to say, going off of that, when you were talking about the layers of how many mm -hmm. sounds actually go into something, uh, it's cool you mentioned that because you're like 100% right about student films. It's something that a lot of us as sound students don't even always recognize of what is really required of post work. Like, it's not just like drag and drop drag and drop, throw in the sound effect and then call it a day. Like, there is a lot of work about, like I was saying a little bit before about, like, matching frames is so important. Like, you, the, you'd be surprised. I mean, maybe not you, actually, because you go to school for it, too, but, like, there are so many times where people miss their marks on where the sound effect should be, and it's frames yeah. late or it's frames early, and it just kills the illusion of, you know, what a movie is. And Going off that, something Tim would be happy to hear is uh, my teacher. He's really, really great guy. His name's Corey Koken, and he owns his own post house in Chicago. He's worked on a lot of movies, a lot of TV shows, video games, that sort of stuff. And he talks about Transformers a lot, and how he's like, yeah. he, he's like, you don't, he's like, you don't have, he's like, you don't have one sound effect for each guy. He's like, there is 150, 200 different sound effects for each character that are original and unique that go with them for a reason. And so that was kind of just, to me, I'm like, yeah, that's that's one great reason of why, even if you don't like the movie, there is something to pull away yeah. from whether it's sound or visuals. Like, there's always, I feel like, something, because people put a lot of hard work into these movies, and when you really step back and, like, learn from bonus features or just talking to people about, wow, there is that many sounds in Fast and Furious 7 just to just to make that car sound like that like that's incredible and it's it's mind-boggling because you think about like well how like accurate is it to the real sound but then at the same time it's a movie does it always have to be accurate mm -hmm. or can it can it be a little you know theatrical and fictionalized so movies movies are supposed to be a heightened if they need to be a heightened experience because um we're, we're, we're watching something, and, we're, and we need to be convinced by everyone who made the movie. Um, two things you mentioned. One, uh, Transformers. Thank you for bringing that up, because you're right. Even if you hate the movie, it doesn't matter. You have to really... How would... Okay, put your, you really got to watch it and be like, if, if, if I had to be... If I was asked to make the sound of an Autobot, how would I do it? And I wouldn't even know where to start. Those, those guys mix sound together so effortlessly... On the commentary, they actually did mention that was some of their best sound work they've ever done, which is really, really cool. Um, yeah, it and, is. And I forgot what the second thing was. <laughs> <laughs> I, now, I, it was cool, though. Now, in terms of... Yeah, you, no, definitely. You're talking about... Uh, you're, you're wrapping up soon, uh, and you're, you're going to hopefully graduate very soon, and you, you want to work... Uh, you said a lot in post, but you take anything. Um, 
what what are your plans after graduating? There's probably a lot of kids that are listening to this, uh, young adults, uh, that don't know necessarily about going into the film industry or something around entertainment or are currently in it and are worried. And I, you probably are too. We all are a little bit. But what mm -hmm. what are your plans or aspirations or where are you looking towards going after you're done school? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I start to think about where I see myself at, in five, ten years, and that can be like a really scary thing because sometimes there's just a blank nothing, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. But at the same time, I want to be ambitious, and I want to move out west. And if I can, I would love to be able to travel the world, go to other countries. Like I was saying, specifically Canada would be awesome to be able Ooh. to work on a set somewhere. <laughs> yeah, dude, I... No, just have hey, to man, say call that. Call me on. Do some sound for you. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> you're, you're just saying that because Tyrell's here, aren't you? No, no, don't. No, I, <laughs> I was, I was mad jealous when I heard they were filming Suicide Squad. There, I was like, dude, yeah. Jack Porton, yeah. what? Like, <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> no, but um, no, but I, I really like. I was saying, if I could work in a post house for like. I don't know how many years or whatever as a career I would because that would be such a fun job. You're never going to get the same thing twice. Every day that you work on something or that you're given something, you're, you know, it's Tim, like your situation, like with what you do with like graphic design and stuff, it's like you probably don't work on the same thing like every day. I mean, you have a project that you might work on for weeks and months even, but like you're probably getting different stuff from time to time or project to project. And I mean, that's just something I'm, super interested in because that would draw out all the creativity that I have and it would force me to really work myself and come up with something that's unique, original, and worthy of a purchase from an investor, of someone that's putting money into this. Is this something they actually would be happy with or proud of? Um, so, I mean, like, that that's my dream, but at the same time, if I could work for a union and be a boom op or a sound mix or even utilities, like, I would be fine with that too. I mean, getting on set, meeting people, having that experience of of seeing the production happen, of being a part of that production, like it's so cool. I mean, it takes a village to make a movie and when you see all the different pieces that line up and all of everybody doing their part and I mean, watching it all come together and then, you know, it. Mm -hmm. I just think it's, it's such a cool thing because um, a lot of people, I feel like, kind of forget about the work that goes into movies and about how hard people work on movies and from the start before they even start shooting it there's so much paperwork so much scheduling budgeting production meetings where they're talking about how are we gonna do this mm -hmm. how are we actually gonna make this idea be a thing that people can watch and yeah. I just think it's such a cool field of work to go into it's 100% it's very it's, intimidating but it's something that I feel like if if you just pursue it hard enough, if you want it enough, you're gonna find work. Mm -hmm. you know? Now, with that with that attitude, I have no, I'm not afraid for you one bit. I think, <laughs> I, think I honestly like, if I was hiring, I'd be like, dude, you have a great um, attitude about this, and you seem to just jump in head first. So, don't lose that. Don't lose that. I think I, I, I'll try it. It'll be good. <laughs> now, yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh, this this is a great conversation. Um, 
you know where you can find Matt. We'll have all his links below and things like that. Flick Fantasy, you can check out the channel. Um, and Thunder. Yeah, yeah, check out Jason Thunder. Uh, <laughs> and Matt would definitely continue to have a conversation with you uh, about that, and you can have this discussions with us below as well about sound design and things like that and the questions and concerns and, you know, uh, just interest and intrigue into that, you can leave down there as well. So, again, thanks, Matt, for coming on. It's It's been a real pleasure. And uh, I hope we oh, have yeah. taught people about sound, man. Like, that's that's one important thing that people, again, fail to really uh, materialize in their head, and uh, I hope some people have got a little bit of uh, insight into it. Well, cool, thanks. And if I could say one more thing, just real yeah. quick. Uh, something, I mean, if you next time you watch a movie, this is to anyone that's watching... Um, just remember, like, this is not a shot at the picture part of the movie, but keep in mind that, like, your eyes will blink, but your ears are never going to blink. Like, you're always going to be listening. Yeah. And so always always just keep that in your mind, though, because it, the atmosphere of a movie, like you were talking about before with how Sicario set things up and mm -hmm. how they use sound as a great way of intensifying parts, I mean, yeah, it's it's such a cool idea that, like, your ears are always working, and just always keep that in mind. That like that's gonna affect you. <laughs> yeah. Damn, damn that. Yeah. I think we should end on that science you just dropped on us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That's, oh, that's great. <laughs> All right, everybody. Here we are. We're with John. Like this is the Flick Fanatics episode. We have we have Matt. We have John. This is brilliant, and we're gonna be talking about one of my favorite things: uh, screenwriting. Uh, I love it, and we have John here who also loves screenwriting a lot, and we're going to ask him a lot of series of questions about screenwriting, and we're really excited, and John, introduce yourself, man. Hey, guys, what's up? I'm John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, from Flick Fanatics, you probably saw the videos with, you know, me co-hosting and whatnot, but uh, I'm 24 years young. I am <laughs> I'm currently going to Columbia in Chicago, same school as Matt, and uh, I'm doing a cinema arts major, uh, bachelor's, but with a concentration on screenwriting and producing. I like to do both, but yeah. Uh, it's my first semester there. I'm digging it. I'm a transfer student, though, so I have a lot of previous film credits for my other school transfer, but uh, yeah. That's sweet, man. Just a regular dude that loves. Yeah. <laughs> you no guys ever, uh, you guys ever sit on a train together on your way to classes, or? Oh yeah, yeah. This morning, you know, it was me, Matt, and uh, Rick. You know, Rick goes mm. on the train with us occasionally. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it's a fun. It's a cool commute. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get your screenplay. I didn't do mine this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys just keep handing in Jason Thunder. Yeah, just yeah, a redraft. Yeah. This is the same fucking movie. <laughs> Uh, that that's cool, man. I didn't know I didn't know about the producing side. That's sweet too, because that's a that's an interesting side of film too. But let's start it off. Like, where did your interest in screenwriting come, and what made you want to pursue it in like an academic setting? Okay, cool. Well, it was actually kind of a it's a funny story. Um, obviously, growing up, I liked a lot of movies. Uh, I always wanted to do something with movies, and initially with school, I actually was focusing on illustration. I wanted to do like concept art. I've loved to draw my whole life. Um, big inspiration from comics and stuff. Uh, but it was kind of funny. Like, I was in school for graphic design, and as I'm taking more and more courses, I was kind of, like, thinking, like, this isn't for me. Like, I wasn't enjoying it as much as I thought I would. And a lot of the classes and criteria just weren't, I don't know, I, just wasn't, I wasn't enjoying it. And, you know, I want to enjoy what I do. Um, 
so I always wanted to do like artwork for film and stuff, but you know, as I was doing artwork, I would start to like uh, outline treatments and stories and stuff, and like I learned just good storytelling. I just love to type, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna follow this. Like, I'm gonna write movies, and I switched majors. And one of my teachers, actually, for my film aesthetics course, uh, really like kind of persuaded me. She's a great teacher. She also taught screenwriting, and she read some of my stuff, and she's like, you do screenwriting and I was like you know what I think I'm gonna you know so it was kind of like uh I was had in the back of my mind you know but mm -hmm. it wasn't until I decided I did not want to do illustration I'd rather create the worlds and let someone else create like design said creations um so that's how I kind of worked my way into uh screenwriting academically <laughs> sometimes you gotta have that that thing where you're like you know what I'm glad I tried it out because uh, yeah. like, so now you still have illustration as a hobby and it doesn't yeah. take the fun out of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, I still draw all the time. Uh, but in, in terms of careers, I want to really write the films, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, I think I answered the question, right? I talked a while there. <laughs> no, that was, that was great, dude. That was... And thank you so much for being on. Yeah, all right, bye, guys. <laughs> um, that That's cool because usually the stock answer for a lot of these things, when you ask a question like this, it's like, yes, my whole life I've wanted to be a writer since I was, you know, out of the womb. So it's cool that you almost, like, discovered it fairly recently in your life, and it's been something that you, like, hop on and pursue as a passion. I, I love that. And, like, it's similar for me as well. You just, you never, I never knew it was going to, Basically, be an interest of mine, and right. um, in, in, in almost an academic setting, and uh, it just pans out that way sometimes. Um, yeah. Now, how about the most valuable lessons you've learned as a screenwriter? The best re uh, piece of advice you've received? Uh, yeah, I. Um, the most valuable is like get get feedback, get criticism, like yeah. give give out your screenplays to people, be like. No, no uh, sugarcoating it. You know, tell me what you think. Um, and then, I mean, then I literally get advice from them. Um, but uh, rewrites are really important. Like, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. Like, I, I, I have a, a bunch of short, uh, short film screenplays, and I co-wrote feature screenplays with a friend. And we're constantly tweaking and rewriting, and, and nothing's ever perfect. So I think like the most valuable uh, lesson that I've learned is always get feedback. Um, but um, don't let, don't don't take every single criticism or feedback seriously. You still want to have your your vision uh, mm -hmm. created. Um, but I'm always like I'm always open for feedback criticism. Uh, I think that's where I'm at right now. That's my most valuable lesson, and I'm sure that's going to change over the course of like you know the rest of my school. Um, but I'd say that's the most valuable thing for me is like don't. Don't uh, be afraid to take get feedback because I feel like, at least for me in my academic setting, a lot of people are like stuck in their ways, and that's right. fine. It's fine, but like you need to, especially if you want to work in the industry, you gotta like be able to communicate with people and get feedback. Yeah. And a lot of people I've seen it, they just refuse it. Like they just don't want any of it. Well, that, mm -hmm. that seems to be like the difference between these people who who are just making films for fun, and then if you are actually making films. For the industry, you're gonna have you're gonna have people, uh, you know, telling you 
we the studio is making us put this in. Right. And you're gonna have to figure out how to um, insert that. Yeah, because like unfortunately, you know, it, it, you don't know where you're gonna be at, and you might not be able to do 100% your story. You know, sometimes compromises have to be made. But, uh, but I'm not saying that's all the time. But yeah, it's totally okay. a valid point. Like if you got sponsored right out and do, you gotta put that in. I gotta put a, I gotta put a Michael Bay Mountain Dew product placement in there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew I knew I knew uh, you'd get that. Um, yeah. What do you do? You like writing treatments, or have you ever just jumped right into writing a screenplay? Yeah, I always do kind of like the traditional setup. Like I always do an outline, a treatment, and. Um, I, I like to go into the, the characters, make profiles, do like almost like just character studies before I even get to the actual thing. Like obviously uh, when people write screenplays, they write their name and the age and stuff. And some, some people just do it like straight away from that. But I like to like really dive into like the characters I'm creating and give them personalities, give them traits. And I know, I know some people do that too. But uh, yeah, I like to like do the baby steps towards it. I want to feel like most prepared, you know, treatments are super important. You know, people people don't even, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know this, and I know Tyrell knows this, but a lot of people don't even see your screenplay. They're going to see the treatment first, and that's yeah. what sells them on the idea. A lot of people, yeah. I, I think a lot of, like, casual moviegoers think, like, oh, yeah, a guy just walks in, throws a screenplay <laughs> on the desk, and it's like, here you go. And it's 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 way different. Like, you know, they, they're going to read that treatment, and if they don't like that, they're, it's out the door, it's gone. Yeah. So I like right. to take the baby steps, do the outline treatments, character studies, and then move on to the actual. Yeah. Start with, start with the title first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting because uh, the next thing I want to tackle in my personal uh, screenwriting series on YouTube is treatments and the yeah. importance of that, or just the importance of selling uh, your idea to somebody. Mm-hmm. I remember reading Blake Snyder's Save the Cat, the last book on screenwriting you'll ever need, and like he spends like a huge portion of the beginning of the book being like, you need a good log line. You need to yeah. set up the story and be able to give your elevator pitch or whatever to somebody because that's incredibly important. Right, but yeah. Also, again, that treatment, that outline, because um, there's a bunch of different things you have to think of in terms of like narrative structures and things like that. Like, If you're following just like a general, you know, cliche narrative structure of like the hero's journey like you want to have that played out a little bit in your head so you know what beats you want to hit and like I think it's fine to run, run head first into things sometimes especially if you have an idea but it's good to stand back and look at something yeah. in terms of its scope yeah totally no yeah that's the thing too like yeah logline I didn't even mention logline but loglines people a lot of people don't know what that is too and mm-hmm. that's like that's crucial it's just a short little bop 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 that's what the movie is and that's almost, that's to me crazy hard sometimes because it's like you got all the ideas in your head. You're like, I know what it is. How am I going to condense it down to this small thing yeah. and make it sellable? You know, that's the hardest. Yeah, but, yeah, it's a process. It's it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you brought, so when you're making your characters, have you ever had to, like, sketch them to kind of help figure out who they are? Um... Actually, we, like, Doug, uh, my friend Doug, who's, like, my co-writer for a couple, or we're co-writers for a couple of screenplays, we actually did do that. Um, but, like, I don't find it necessary, you know? Like, if there's something where I'm, like, 
because at the end of the day, like, casting calls, you know, you never know what actor is going to play them. But you can have an idea, obviously, in your head, like, this is what I want him to look like. But, um, yeah, we did that, like, twice. Mainly, actually, it's like a sci-fi story. Mainly for just not even characters, but, like, character design. Like, this is the type of, like, clothing we're going for or the <laughs> set pieces or the, the armor, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's just that's just kind of like for fun. I mean, like obviously we focus on the writing stuff. But if we have like a solid, because we both went to school for graphic design and then switched over. Um, but if we have a solid like thing, we're like that's what it's gonna look like, you know. And then we'll hand it off to like other artists or set the uh, production designers. That's sweet. Um, Especially if it's something that you don't really have ever encountered in this world, it might it might help that treatment sell itself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Star Wars is a good example oh, of that. Yeah. yeah, you know, selling a lot of the the artwork uh, there with it. Now, in terms of like breaking down your script writing process, uh, you've obviously read a lot of scripts now, especially since you're taking this more seriously in an academic setting and studying and, and analyzing scripts. In your own personal inspiration for writing your own scripts, you find more inspiration from older classics that are established or modern scripts, or is it kind of like a healthy mix? I would honestly say it is a healthy mix. Um, I think sometimes, I mean sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes a lot of older movies have like just perfect screenplays, but then you'll you'll find like some great films and their screenplays are kind of dated and it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the writing process has evolved over the years so much. Um, that's not to say I don't go to like older films, um, but I do think it is a pretty healthy mix of both. Like I, I yeah, I, I just, I, I've read a bunch of different, time settings, you know, different screenplays from different time settings, and I think that's kind of, like, the best way to go about it. I think it gives you just a well, like, uh, rounded knowledge of, like, well, this is, like, this is how it was kind of written, and, like, this is amazing, but then, like, on the other end of the spectrum, like, there could be stark contrasts between the two. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think think it's a healthy mix. That's cool. Do you have a favorite screenplay just right off the bat? That is, like, super hard to, like, narrow down. (laughs) Um, I love Pulp Fiction. Yes. Um, not just because of the movie, but also because of the screenplay. I think the first time I saw that, I was I was so enamored with how everything wove in together, how he kept, like, this, this awesome just vagueness of, like, what's in the suitcase, and, like, just so many elements of that um, movie, or the screenplay, is, is fantastic. Like, Tarantino's... Yes. It's, it's a, it's a <laughs> it's, Yeah, it goes without saying. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta check that one out if you ever aspire <laughs> to be a screenwriter. And it's not even like if you hate Tarantino, it doesn't matter. It teaches right. you so much just reading something, the works of him. Yeah. That's actually one of the first movies that I uh, noticed a script in. Like I'm not even kidding. Like mm. before that, I think I just watched movies as a movie's a movie. And then right. I saw yeah. fiction. And I was like, I don't even like dialogue, and I, I really like it. it yeah. is, it's really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that we're in a golden age of screenwriting, or are we in a decline? Oh, man, that's so hard. Uh, because film is is getting more and more... Yeah. I don't, yeah, it's... I think it's both. I mean, we, we have some fantastic screenplays, and then there's some that are just obviously just pure garbage, <laughs> like pure trash. Um, but... Um, I want to say we are in a golden age. I, I have faith that, because um, 
it's not like they're non-existent. It's just they're not as recognized as well, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, there's still so many great screenplays. Um, like, I'm looking at your back, the back of your wall, Tyrell, and, like, all of those are great screenplays. I oh, mean, yeah. Like, well, you I have mean, Tarantino up there, so, like, right. you know, you're, you're living yeah. through Tarantino right now, which is great. But I think you would agree with this, too, John. Like, uh, you you got to start looking at TV. Some of the yeah. best writing in terms of screenplay oh, yeah. and, like, teleplay is in television right now and how they're telling stories there and, like, people, like... And at least in academics for a long time, obviously, look down on TV, but it's producing some of the best oh, yeah. content, some of the best um, written content right now. Yeah, I was going to actually say, as far as the decay golden age uh, question, yeah, we're in a golden age for TV for sure. Like, oh, we're, yeah. we're in, it's the best it's ever been. Because you're right, you think of, like, I mean, you can name thousands of shows, not thousands, <laughs> but, like, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, I mean, it goes on, and it is really crazy how much the quality has stepped up over the last few years. So, yeah, maybe movies, like, have a good balance of shit in Golden Age, but, like, I think TV is overwhelmingly in a Golden Age of screenwriting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. Now, oh, it's, it's interesting to look at that. Uh, when you finish school, I know this is a question that you never necessarily want to fully think of because it's a scary time. Right. Uh, on, the, on the discussion of film versus TV, I know you probably take a job anywhere, but do you have a preference in film or TV where you would write? Um, I would take a preference with TV. Um, I, it's not that I'm not intimidated. I'm sorry. I, I, did I say TV? I'm in film. I, oh. <laughs> I, I, I mix, yeah, I'm very tired, guys. I'm sorry. No problem. <laughs> I, have, I would have a preference with film. It's not that I'm uh, intimidated by TV. It's just I feel I would feel more comfortable, I guess, easing into the industry doing film and then transferring to TV. Um, but at the same time, like you said, work is work, and if I could work on a television show, that'd be amazing. If I could write like a TV series, I would totally go for it. Um, but if I had the preference over the choice, I would go for film first. Mm -hmm. Do you have a genre preference? Um, I, you know, would you be open to doing comedy? I would be open to doing comedy, yeah. Like, I have a preference to do, I like, I like sci-fi, fantasy, and action. And I'm a, I'm a sucker for revenge stories, too. Like, I love a good revenge story. Um, and we get a lot of those. Um, but at the same time, a lot of them aren't too great. You know, we look at, like, the umpteenth Taken movie and all that stuff, and it's like, I feel like those kind of films, like, can... I mean, I, I already have, like, a screenplay in process, and I really want to, like, do a good revenge flick. Uh, but, like, action, I, I would like to tackle drama, too, um, but I love action, uh, sci-fi, fantasy a lot. Those are, like, my go-to genres. That's that's a hard medium. Like, well, I guess every single genre is hard to work in, but, like, to yeah. create... Um, just from experience, trying to write fantasy is an action too, because it's a completely different thing versus like something that's completely like dialogue driven, like a Tarantino film. You're right. It's a whole different process in writing something that's action or fantasy, because it's a lot of times you're trying to put into words what you see visually, and it's it's yeah. a whole new it's, it's a whole new world as corny as it sounds. <laughs> looking at yeah. that, no, it really is. Um, um, yeah, like. I do think, um, well, one of my professors brought up a good point. They're like, you know, you're not going to, obviously, you're not going to be able to make what you want to make right out the get-go. And they're like, so never be, uh, never 
turn off or turn down uh, adaptations. They're like, you know, uh, it's a good way to, like, get your juices flowing. You have stuff there. I'm not saying, like, I want to do adaptations for all these things, but Mm -hmm. um, it was really surprising seeing the reaction because I go to an art school, a lot of hipsters, a lot of, like, you know, kind of, like, elitist, like, pretentious a little bit people and they like they like write off like anything that's like adapted they're like I want to make what I want to make and nothing else you know and it's like you got to be open to to doing other things um because yeah like you said building your own fantasy is super hard and it's like Mm -hmm. well what if if you did like what if you adapted Lord of the Rings or something or what if you uh, did a Star Wars screenplay you know like where the lore is there and you try to create your own thing out of it Mm -hmm. um I think that yeah, screenwriting can take many different turns. <laughs> yeah, find the rights. Sorry, sorry. No, go ahead, Tim. Look at all the fantasy. Look at all the independent fantasy films that have succeeded. I can't think of many. I'm looking. Look at your poster behind you, Sucker Punch. There's a perfect example of a fan, oh, original fantasy that, that that flopped. I mean, it failed, you know, critically and commercially. But it's like, um, that's what I'm saying, is it's so hard. Last you, Witch Hunter, all this shit. You you like, yeah, and like, granted, those, the quality of those films, obviously Sucker Punch had a way bigger production value, and like, you know, visually it's appealing, right, and people had problems with the writing. Uh, but you look at like original fantasy films or sci-fi films, and it's also kind of hard to find an audience because... Um, and that's the problem, is a lot of them are, aren't good, but yeah. when, when they are good, or at least polarizing, or decent, uh, it really is hard to find an audience, because I think of um, Tomorrowland, very split, uh, very split among people. I have not seen it yet, actually. Okay. I, it's, in my, it's in my list, my to-watch list, but I know it's inspired by Disney, like the actual place, Disney, uh, the park, but um, it's... It's original. It's an original sci-fi film, and it did horribly, you know? And you look at all these other movies that just do horribly. So it is very hard to create, like, a fantasy or sci-fi, like you said, Tyrell, and keep yeah. it and keep it good <laughs> to, to people. I no, mean, to, you're right. Yeah. Um, it's a huge hurdle. I'll switch, I'll switch gears a little bit because this is, this is an interesting phenomenon that's going on. You know, you have directors typically in the role of at least publicly – Credible for films, and they're the figureheads or faces of the films. But I feel like the writers for the longest time have been the unsung heroes of a lot of films. You look back at uh, something like the auteur theory, which is still prevalent and believed in theory today, and you have the critics suggesting that it's a team or at least a writer should be considered an auteur. But you see people like Max Landis, who's very popular. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about Max Landis's role in being almost like, even if you can you can voice your opinion if you, you you think he's a hack or if he's great for whatever. But like, how do you feel about writers like that being very vocal and now almost the stars of the pictures instead of the directors? I'm I mean I'm all for it, right? Like obviously I'm a little biased because I'm a screenwriter, but um, you're right. They don't get the appreciation they deserve. You know, they're the ones. I guess it starts with the screenwriter, and obviously it takes a village to make said movie. Um, but, like, you don't have that idea, you don't have that writing, you don't, like, have a movie. And it's it's very, you're right, I mean, you think of, although this is a bad example, but upcoming Batman v Superman, right? Everyone says, you know, Snyder. But it's Chris Terrio, and who is a very uh, good writer, uh, but he, I think people are kind of talking about it because he's an Oscar award-winning uh, writer. Mm-hmm. 
so maybe that's not the best example, but you think of like uh, any movie, and it's like you said, it's the it's the director, and I, I'm all for it. I think screenwriters should get a lot more credit. Um, and I, I, you guys saw Hail Caesar, right? Yes. Yeah. Not yet, not yet. Okay, they have a really great line in there about writers, screenwriters not getting enough credit, and I just, I was, I was seeing that movie, I watched the movie alone on my day off, and it was kind of crowded. I was the only person in the whole movie that laughed at that line, because, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, it was so funny, but it's like, it's so true at the same time. Uh, yeah, they don't get enough credit. I'm all for the writers kind of uh, being be- uh, more recognized. They should right. definitely voice their opinion. It's kind of sad when you think about it. Like, now, no one thinks about the writers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, unless you're a writer that turned director. like Sure, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's, like, written, written and directed by, yeah, or... Or, like, David Ayer. He, right. These things on, like, it's, like, from the guy who brought you... Uh, That's right, yeah, they'll, they'll say that in the uh, trailers and stuff. Yeah, and Tarantino, oh, too. Abrams doing Armageddon. Right. Doing right. Uh, other shit. Right, but you'll never have like yeah, like a uh, a writer who maybe hasn't had like critical acclaim, but like it's a good, damn good screenplay. Uh, but like you know they're gonna top build the director, you know. Right. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's an obstacle. <laughs> I put a sly question in there, but how do you feel about somebody like Max Landis as a as a creative individual, as a screenwriter, and as somebody that's a popular your head for screenwriting. Um, I'm not like too crazy about him, to be honest with you. I I, I think like like you said, he's popular. Um, but I don't. I don't know. Like I'm not I'm not like a huge fan. I don't know. I don't want to like downplay the question, but I'm not I'm not a big fan. I don't know. Right. No, that's good. That's good. I want to see, I want to see. It's interesting. It's almost me like poking it, <laughs> trying to see something. But no, I. I I agree, because, like, even if his work is not something that people necessarily enjoy, right. like, I feel pride in the fact that he gets love and hate on the Internet. People are understanding that writers are involved in the process, too. Right, because, like, I totally am behind writers voicing their, you know, opinions and that they should be better credited, for sure, yeah. A hundred percent. Do you, okay, I think we can wrap up with this question almost. Do you have, uh, I know you talked about favorite script or whatever, best example. Do you have a screenwriter that you're really gravitating towards right now as an inspiration or a favorite? Um, well, to be honest, Tarantino is one of them. I know it's like a repeat, but uh, he, he's one of them for sure. I like the Coen brothers a lot as well, and Charlie Kaufman as yeah. well. Um, those are some of my favorite screenwriters. I think, like with Tarantino, I gravitate towards his stuff because he does action so well. He does uh, revenge. I mean, you look at Kill Bill; it's a whole mm-hmm. series built off of that. Um, and like just characters. So it's like to me, he he ticks all the boxes. It's like you know, I love action, tick. I love revenge, tick. And then like the characters, you got to care for the characters. And a lot of times, these movies, or not his movies, but any movie, kind of fails at like developing a character. Um, and like obviously, you want to be invested in these characters. And Tarantino, I think, just, like, you, you, you care about his characters all the time in every movie, like, 100%. Yeah. Um, so Tarantino is definitely, like, my favorite uh, screenwriter. Wow. That's cool, man. Yeah, I, I agree. And, again, I should uh, say that everybody should check out Quentin Tarantino's work because it's pretty masterclass in terms of yeah. how you, you should write. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. no yeah. but I've heard, I've heard complaints that 
uh, people, and I've, I've been trying to uh, talk about this in terms of selling spec scripts and things like that. Apparently, people say don't write like Tarantino because he's got a right. specific yeah, yeah, yeah. brand, especially oh, now yeah. that he's directing his own work. you got to be careful, but still look at his work, and uh, it's fun. But, John, thank you very much. This is a great conversation. Um, we can continue it again in the comments below. Screenwriting oh, yeah. is a huge huge, awesome thing and part of filmmaking, and I'm sure John and myself and Tim will continue a discussion with you in the comments below. So you can uh, go ahead and plug anything if you want or anything oh. like <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to plug, obviously, our channel. Uh, I know it's kind of tedious to do, but if you don't, if you haven't checked out our channel, check it out, Flip Fanatics. We goof around. We make short films, reviews, all that jazz. Uh, you can follow Flip Fanatics on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Festel, just my full name. Um, that's kind of it. I also want to plug uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. I think people, <laughs> I think people should go see it. I do. I know there's like this weird hate train on it, but it is. It's Chris Terrio's writing it. Like it's kind of a big thing for superhero movies to kind of progress to this. So I think people should check it out. Just even if you you're not a fan, just just watch it. What do you got to lose? Damn, that was a good episode. Uh, <laughs> Uh, big, big, big thanks to Matt and John um, yeah. for. It was funny. We did we did uh, John's uh, interview and then we moved right on to Matt and like they're like right next to each other in their house. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of funny that way. It's not yeah. like they had to like do much. Uh, but really, thank thank you so much, guys. Uh, fascinating shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyrell, you wanna you wanna close out the episode with our yeah. uh, social media links? Yeah. Yeah, first I want to say like Letterbox is a big part of uh, what we do here. Tim and I both have our accounts. We have the Pentelzoom one, which is going to be more active because of this next little thing, the segue. The Letterboxd uh, team, great guys out of New Zealand. <laughs> they're they, my best friends. They're my best friends too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they put out their app finally on uh, iOS. Uh, Android is coming. Sorry for you Android users, but you can get the Letterbox app on iOS. So if you don't have a Letterbox account, it's essentially now another social media app that you can download on your phone. It's a really, really good polished app, uh, and I would highly recommend it. You can follow along with us. Um, you can find us at letterbox.com slash Zoom. But for the other social media, we are on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Zoom. Uh, we have Facebook uh, as well. Uh, and Instagram is a new one at uh, Instagram.com slash show. If you just search it on your Instagram app, you can find it. But uh, Twitter, you can find us there. And that's usually where you're going to find the biggest updates. That's where we like yeah. to you know, joke around a lot. So uh, yeah, don't also, be sitting on our Facebook page waiting for an update. <laughs> no, no. The Facebook page is cool like... a cover photo, though. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we totally... <laughs> I think it's on Solo. Exactly, and I just want to make a quick correction. It's twitter.com slash Zoom show. I forgot the show, guys. We are a show, just to let you guys know. We're, we're doing mad rhymes, too. It's, it's the time for the end of the episode. So so thanks, right, guys, guys, for tuning in to episode 12 of Pantilt Zoom. That's Tim, and I'm Tyrell. <laughs> There's Tim kissing his muscle. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next time.